0: Hello woodland community, this is Pastor Brian, and you are listening to the Woodland Worship Podcast episode 010. If you are listening to this, you are an honorary member of our community where we seek to bring the presence of Christ to those around us. On this week's episode, have you ever thought you had to have all your stuff together in order to worship Jesus? Have you ever told yourself, if I don't have all the details right or say the right things or do the right things, God isn't gonna pay attention. Or worse, you tag it with, so why even try? Well, in today's story, we'll see a woman who worships Jesus in a pre-unorthodox way. She certainly doesn't follow the script of the religious leaders, and yet Jesus receives her worship more than anyone's. Check out how you can build the same kind of habits into your week and recognize the blessings every day of your life. Let's dive in. Do you ever have that kind of uncomfortable feeling, being around people who maybe do things slightly different than you do? Maybe you're one who watches a ball game of whatever flavor is your fancy. And you like to sit and just kind of chill out a little bit, maybe a little chips and dip. And they are ready to jump up and up and down at the game and they got just this wall of bad call bricks ready to chuck at the TV. Anybody remember those things? Maybe you're helping out after a party, be it the game or some other occasion. And you open up the dishwasher and this streak of horror just comes across your face like, how do I tell them they load the dishwasher the wrong way? Sometimes it happens in not quite so life and death situations. Maybe they worship with slightly different language than you use. Maybe they are ones who pray with their hands open and their head up. And you're more of a head-down, hands-folded kind of person. Maybe they say amen at a time, other than the end of a prayer, don't anybody have a heart attack on me? It might take some pretty high stakes to snap us out of our norms, out of our comfort zones, out of our defaults. Well, you know what? In today's story, the stakes are going to get pretty high. And as we'll see, God can give Great freedom in something that God values very, very much. Let's pray together. God, help us to see where we fit in your story. Help us to learn and to grow and maybe even to be stretched because of what you do through your servants. Amen. Well, in today's passage, like I said, the stakes are going to go way up. And it's going to get very real, very fast. But the storm clouds that have been brewing over Jerusalem as this final week has been progressing are going to start hovering over Jesus' head. And we're going to start to see emerge within the story that I'm going to read as we've been camping out in the book of Mark. This technique that Mark is kind of well known for. This idea of the, the scripture sandwich, if you will. where He takes these three little bits and he sort of sandwiches them together as one unit. In this case, two short stories sort of bookending the one that we're really going to dive into. And so today we're going to spend a lot of time really kind of camped out in the story itself. Maybe a little more so than I have been lately. But I promise at the end, we'll see how wherever it is that you are in your walk, there is something to be learned and something to be gained. Even if you are brand new to the faith. Maybe even if you hadn't gotten to that point yet. But as I read this passage today, See if you can see where those sections fall. I promise it's not that difficult. This comes out in Mark 14, verses 1 to 11. It was two days before the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were looking for a way to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the festival, or there may be a riot among the people. Well, Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, and he sat at the table a woman came with an alabaster jar of very costly ointment of nard. And she broke open the jar and poured the ointment on his head. But some were there who said to one another in anger, why is this ointment being wasted in this way? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and the money given to the poor, probably about a year's worth of wages. And they scolded the woman. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has performed a good service For me, you will always have the poor with you, and you can show kindness to them whenever you wish, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could, and she anointed my body beforehand for its burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray Jesus to them. And when they heard it, they were greatly pleased and promised to give him money. So he began to look for an opportunity to betray him. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, did he catch the pattern? Can you see how this scripture sandwich works? I'll paint it out a little bit for you here. First off, we're in a very short snippet. The priests are planning to kill Jesus. I've been kind of hearing that theme a bunch lately. Right there in the middle, Mary anoints Jesus. And at the tail end, again, in a short snippet, Judas offers to betray Jesus. Now let me kind of expand a little bit on that middle one. Just so you can see how it actually fits within the context of these bookends that are going on that are a little bit more obvious about how the theme works out. This story has equivalence or parallels, really, in all four Gospels. And so I'm going to draw from Matthew's version for a bit, just to kind of show what the purpose of that word anointing is in the context of what we're talking about here. I'm talking about the same kind of situation. It says, by pouring this ointment on my body, she has prepared me for burial. So we have one group that is planning Jesus' death, a lady who is preparing Jesus for burial, and a traitor who is willing to perpetuate his death. See, in biblical times, this whole idea of washing and anointing a body before it is buried was a very common practice. We probably have our equivalents today. But they took it very, very seriously. I mean, they had 75, 80 pounds of spices that they are using to anoint a body as they're wrapping it for burial. This was a big deal to them. and It's fitting how Jesus is being anointed now two, three days before he's killed because after the crucifixion, because of how the timing had worked out and the day of preparation for the Sabbath was coming, they had to get the body down quick, get it buried for ritualistic reasons. And there was no time to do a proper anointing. So That's why you see in Luke's Gospel, the women are going to the tomb for Easter Sunday and they are carrying these spices to anoint Jesus' body before, spoiler alert, it decides not to be there. But even though I cover a bit of those details and sort of that Bible handbook sort of stuff, don't miss the forest for the trees. With these three stories, how they line up, the fact is, Jesus' death is imminent. It's coming. As I said, the priests are plotting for it. Mary is preparing Jesus for it. And Judas is perpetuating it. Going to the guys, the, the chief priests say, hey, I'll help you out. I'll hook you up with a time to catch Jesus when the crowds are away. Judas even kind of helps bump up the timeline a little bit. Because as the priests had said, they're kind of in a panic. They want to kill Jesus, but they don't want to do it when the crowds are on. And this is a huge festival. I mean, this is New York Times Square, New Year's Eve, yeah, that sounds about right. Kind of hard to get somebody off to kill him with a crowd like that. They're afraid of the riot that can come out of this. So they want to wait until there's no crowds. But Judas says, hey, you know what? I know where he goes. I know I'm kind of on the inside. I can hook you up with a time when he's going to be off by himself. Then you can snag him and you can do what you're going to do. And they start to rethink their plan. They're going to try to Take Jesus when there's no crowd around, they're going to bring a whole crowd themselves, as the story goes. So he can get us to Jesus when the crowds are thin? Let's take it. Let's do it. And all around, that imminence of Jesus' death builds in urgency. Jesus has always been an advocate for the poor. He calls on people throughout the Gospel writings for people to take care of those who are down on their luck or beat up. In Matthew 25, Jesus is talking to his disciples about heaven. He says, whatever you do to those who are thirsty, those who are hungry, whatever you do to the naked or those who are sick or in prison, you do it to me. And he identifies himself with those poor, with those beat down, with those who are kind of on the outskirts of society. But here he says, you know what? You can take care of the the poor whenever you want. You'll have time for that. Acknowledging me as Messiah, not so much. That's got a little bit of, hey guys, this is going to end soon. You won't always have me. Maybe even reads a little bit into Judas's motivations. For what he's going to do. Kind of behind the scenes, he was the treasurer of the group. He was the guy who handled all the money. He was, well, on top of being a betrayer, a thief on top of it. So if you kind of get into Judas's mind, because he's the one who's sort of voicing out about Mary wasting this expensive ointment. He's like, if we had that much money in the common purse, I could steal it like that. And oh, the good I could do with that. And then he masks it with, we could give that money to the poor. How dare she waste it, breaking it over Jesus' head. Well, how noble of you, Judas. And you're going to go and sell out Jesus for a wall and fries. That imminent death builds in not just urgency, but also sh- shamelessness. Now let's say, just for the sake of argument, that there is some nobility to Judas's words. He makes a point. All that money, again, that's probably about a year's worth of wages, could probably go to some good that were given to the poor, to those on the outskirts of society. Those are good purposes, good things to go after. But Mary is one who sort of has this thing for going after the better rather than just settling for good. In Luke 10, we see the story where Jesus is visiting Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus, having dinner with them, and Martha is spending time being a good host for Jesus running around, getting the dishes all going and and serving things up and practicing biblical hospitality, sure. She does a good thing. She's trying to be a good servant to Jesus. Mary sits at Jesus' feet and listens. And Jesus responds by saying, Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. Mary doesn't just settle for good. She shoots for better. And Mary is worshiping, even if it's a little bit outside the norms and the customs of what these guys hanging out at dinner might be used to. Maybe even if it's a little bit outside the realm of logic. But you think she's nuts? Let me ask you this. Speaking even just of extravagance or or things that sort of defy logic, have you ever done something really extravagant for somebody that you love? Let's put it this way. You ever take someone out to a restaurant for their birthday? And as the server is there taking your orders and you go, so birthday boy, what are you going to have for dinner? And you know, and they know where this is going. Once there's that recognition that there is a birthday in the house, all of a sudden you get a server and probably maybe even a team of them going, Hey! Everyone in earshot! It's Sarah's birthday today. Let's say yee And it usually leads to smiles, maybe even laughter, maybe even camera shots from everybody except the birthday person who is sort of squirming under the table trying to shrink into their coat. You ever want to do that yourself? Maybe to stand up in a crowd outside the context of a restaurant, maybe in a train station or something like that. And you just shout, hey, it's Sarah's birthday. Let's all sing happy birthday to her. And sometimes they actually do it. I've seen it. Maybe even step it up past that. Not even an occasion, not even a birthday. But you just stand up in a crowd and say, I love my wife more than life itself. Just to declare it out there. Extravagant. Certainly outside the norm. There's two truths that will come out of that. I guarantee you. Either you will get smacked on the arm really hard to where you will have a bruise for the next week, or there will be a very silent car ride home. And truth number two, you don't care. Because it matters that much to you. Jesus' death, the imminence of it, builds in abandon. Put these two ideas together. Urgency, it's coming. Shamelessness, Mary doesn't care. And she worships with abandon. With whatever it is that she has. In her case, it happens to be this jar of expensive ointment. In Mark 12, a couple chapters earlier, there's the widow who worships with whatever she has, even though it's like two pennies. For some It means being face down in prayer. For some, it means being up and singing and dancing. The examples could go on for hours and hours. Here's the fact. The heart of our worship matters a whole lot more to Jesus than the tools of our worship. Here's where the blessing starts to come. It means that you can take just about anything and use it to worship. You can play an accordion and worship God. Many of us have seen that. You can dance and worship God. You can wash dishes and worship God. You can mow a lawn and worship God at the same time. You can serve food to a baby and have it be worshiping God. Paul writes when he's talking to the Corinthians, says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. That's worship. Whatever you do, that includes just about anything you could possibly do. So here's the next steps I want to leave you guys with. And the cool thing is, this can scale wherever it is you are in your walk. If you've never even tried to worship God before on your own, there's a way to do it here. If you've been doing this for all your life, there's places you can go here. But this week, I want you to take worship outside. Find some way to worship in just random moments throughout the day. Take some kind of cue that happens throughout the day to sort of cue you or remind you to do this. Maybe every time someone sneezes, or any that you are washing your hands, or anytime you see a car commercial on the TV. And this is a whole different message, but this is really the root behind the spiritual discipline of fasting. That whenever you would feel hunger pains, it sort of serves as the cue for how you worship. And then whatever it is, whatever your cue is, thank God for whatever it is that you're doing. This is where it can, it can scale very easily. Because the Bible so often pairs, across the spectrum, pairs worship, praise, with thanksgiving. To just go hand in hand. So if you're washing dishes when your kid sneezes, thank God that you have the mobility to be able to wash dishes. If you're reading a book when the car commercial goes off in the other room, thank God that you have the capacity to read. Because we probably all know people who would pray for the mobility to wash dishes, to move their hands that way and with that kind of control. We probably all know people who would love to have the mental capacity or the physical eyesight to be able to read a book. So why not give thanks for the fact that we can do it? So God chooses to bless us in little things. And these are the sort of things we may completely take for granted until they're not there. And so why not give thanks for those little things and those little blessings? Because the more you recognize them, give thanks for them, the more you'll start to see them pop up. And before you know it, you're going to have a list of items that you could be thankful for that just extends from here to Georgia. When you recognize that you have that many things to be thankful for, blessings, big, small, whatever, that's like the definition of abundant life right there. And that's how we can take worship outside of this and back to following what Paul says. Whether you eat or drink, Whatever you do, do everything in worship for the glory of God. Amen. On next week's episode, have you ever made a promise that you were positive you could keep no matter what? Ever do so and then fall short of your words? Well, a few of Jesus' followers know exactly what that feels like. How do we keep ourselves from walking face first in that kind of situation? And what happens when we mess up? Find out next week on the Woodland Worship Podcast.